0: Stay, stay uh, standing. We're going to be reading the passage here in a moment or two. Just always so good to see you guys. And uh, if you're guests, we're glad to have you. We've got a simple threefold mission. want to love Jesus with all our hearts. We want to love one another, and we call that journey together, all kinds of groups. Then we want to bring hope to the world, the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. That's what we're about. So our passage is in Genesis 50. If you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis 55 0 If not, it's going to be on the screens. Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Church, this is God's word. Please be seated. Some of you know better than I do that Wynton Marsalis is one of the premier jazz trumpeters of all time. A journalist in New York City told about this story that happened one night in a little-known uh, basement club. Uh, he had a unknown band, combo band, with him. And after a few songs in the set, he walks to the front of the bandstand and unaccompanied begins a solo of the 1930s ballad, I Don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. <coughs> the audience became rapt as Marsalis' trumpet virtually wept in despair, almost gasping at times with the pain in the music. Stretching the mood taut, Marsalis came to the final phrase with each note coming slower and slower. With longer and longer pauses, between each one. I don't stand a chance, a ghost of a chance. And then someone's cell phone went off. It began to chirp, an absurd little tune, and the audience broke up into titters, and the man with his phone jumped up and fled into the hallway to take his call. And the spell was broken. The journalist recounting this story stretched into his notepad, magic ruined. But then Marsalis played the cell phone melody note for note. He played it again with different accents. He began to play with it, spinning out a rhapsody of the silly little tune, changing keys several times. The audience settled down, slowly realizing that they were hearing something altogether extraordinary. Around and around, Marsalis played for several minutes, weaving glory out of goofiness. And finally, in a masterstroke, he wound down seamlessly in the last two notes of his previous song, With You. And the audience exploded with applause. Now, that delightful little story uh, just is a reminder to us that if Wynton Marsalis can take discordant notes and bring something beautiful out of it, That the God who created the galaxies, the God who created the universe, He is well able to take the discordant notes of your life and mine and bring beauty out of it. And that's in fact what the Bible says, promises to us that God will do. The Bible promises that when bad things happen to us, God will redeem them for good. That when people wrong us or mistreat us or do evil to us, that God will bring good out of it for our lives. That when we experience pain and suffering of any kind, any stripe, that God will have the final word and it will be good. I'm talking about the betrayal of a spouse or getting some dread disease such as cancer or Alzheimer's or the loss of a family member way too soon our ongoing physical pain, a wayward child that scares you to death, the loss of a job, a friend who who lets you down and turns against you, a thousand other things, God will redeem it for good for you, whatever it is. Now, our passage this morning in Genesis 50, sort of the climactic part of the Genesis narrative. We've seen in Genesis from... 12 through 50, four patriarchs that the passage, the narrative revolves around. First, Abraham, then more briefly, Isaac, then Jacob, and now Joseph. And Joseph, the backstory for today's passage, when he was only 17 years old, unfortunately, he was his much, uh, much the favorite son by his dad. And the jealous brothers, see a caravan coming along. They're far from home, and they seize the opportunity to get rid of their brother, the favored one who's treated specially. And they sell him to this caravan of traders passing through on their way to Egypt. And so if you can imagine that, sold by your own brothers, a human trafficked, taken to a foreign land, a foreign language, a foreign way of life, never to be seen again. And then when he gets there, he is falsely accused of sexual assault, and then he's thrown in prison, innocent. He's alone and abandoned in the prison, and years go by. Thirteen long years go by. And yet, during this time, Joseph does not become bitter. He does not blame God. He does not turn away from God. In fact, later, God uses him to interpret some dreams, and that leads to him being able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh the ruler of all Egypt. And after that happens, he is elevated to be prime minister of all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world at the time. Sometime after that, after years of plenty, there's a famine that hits the whole region, and people come from all over to Egypt because Joseph, as prime minister, has stored up food. And among those who come are his brothers who had sold him into, into slavery. After a time, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and loves them and forgives them and welcomes them into his life. In fact, he persuades them, you've got to come here, you've got to move here with all of your families, and I will take care of you, and I will provide for you. But after 17 more years, 17 years in which Joseph has taken care of them and blessed them, their dad dies, Jacob dies, and it hits them. Oh, no, will Joseph now get even with us for what we've done to him? And we see that in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now, after all of this time that they've had in Egypt, 17 years, Joseph's brothers are still wrestling with fear and with guilt. They're riddled with fear and guilt. Now, it's been... It's been 30 years total since they sold him into slavery, 17 years since they've been there. During that 17 years, Joseph has shown them nothing but kindness, nothing but love, nothing but forgiveness. He's taken care of them. He's given them the best land. He's provided for them and been good to him, good to them, and yet they're riddled with guilt and fear of Joseph. They misunderstand his heart. Now, you and I have an advantage over them. We, we at times also re- wrestle with fear and guilt and things we've done. But we've got an enormous advantage over those guys. Our advantage is that we live on this side of the cross, the fourth side of the cross. We know that God himself took our sins on the cross and paid for them all. Washed our sins whiter than snow under no condemnation. We know that we're set free from sin. And yet even us at times can still live in guilt for sins that God has already forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so the guilt-laden brothers fabricate a story, and they send this to Joseph, verse 16. So they send a message to Joseph, saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father." Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did Joseph weep? Because it broke his heart that they did not trust him. After all of the kindness, love, and forgiveness that he had shown them for 17 years, they still did not trust that his heart toward them was good. They misunderstood his heart. Now, let me tell you something even more sad, that every day of your life, the God who made you has done nothing but good to you. He has poured out love and forgiveness. In fact, He has sent His own Son to take all of your sins, and yet at times, we still misunderstand God's heart, and we doubt His goodness, and we doubt His forgiveness, and we doubt His love, and that grieves The heart of God, just like it grieved Joseph, that his brothers did not know his heart was good for him. The greatness of David in the Old Testament, I think that probably the main hero of the Old Testament, his greatness was that he was willing to believe that the grace of God was bigger than his sin. He had this enormous view of the love and the kindness of God. And despite murder and adultery, he believed God's grace was greater. In the New Testament, the greatest figure besides Jesus would be Paul. And the greatness of Paul is that Paul, too, believed that the the grace of God was greater than his sin of murder and blasphemy. And David and Paul were champions of grace. And God would have every one of us be a champion of grace. People who believe that no matter what we've done, how we have messed up, how we might have failed, that the grace of God is always bigger. And we know that God's heart toward us is good. It's cut in every way. And we don't live in a life riddled with fear and guilt. And so they come to Joseph, they pour out their hearts to Joseph. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, "Behold, we're your servants. And the word servants in Hebrew could also be translated slaves. You know, we're your slaves, and they fling themselves at his feet. Now, Joseph's response is one of the high points in the book of Genesis. In fact, in all the Old Testament, there is no greater example of forgiveness than we see with Joseph and his brothers in this moment. Verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear answer by Joseph. Every phrase of that thing just speaks volumes to us about the nature of forgiveness and the kind of attitudes that we must have if we hope to forgive people who wrong us. And it gives us a perspective on all the pain and suffering in life. Let's unpack it. The first thing Joseph says is, do not be afraid, do not fear, which of course is the heart of God that we see all through Scripture towards us. Time after time after time, God will say to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In other words, you can trust me to take care of you. Or you think about Jesus walking on the water, getting close to the boat. The disciples are terrified, the Bible says, and fear. It's a ghost. And he says, do not be afraid. And that's what Joseph says to his brothers. Do not be afraid. And then secondly, he says to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now, his insight at this point is so strong, so great, that it could only be the Spirit of God leading him. He just gets it. He just gets it. Am I in the place of God to withhold forgiveness from you? Of course not. So you don't have anything to be afraid of. I am not in the place of God. He gets it that the matter of withholding forgiveness, justice, that is a prerogative of God alone. Only God can forgive and not forgive. And he is saying to them, am I in the place of God? He is not arrogating to himself that I get the right to decide your future. That's God. Whenever you and I withhold forgiveness, we are playing God with somebody else. It is an incredible act of self-righteousness and pride. What's behind it is the attitude, how dare you do this to me? I mean, don't you know who I am? Uh, As if... We're not covered over with wrongdoings towards other people. And we want the same forgiveness that we now bestow. And to withhold forgiveness is to act as if, you know, we have no faults and that we can withhold the forgiveness. It is a self-righteous posture to take. Vengeance, retaliation, resentment, that, that's deeply human. It is. Frederick Nietzsche, the not just non-Christian but anti-Christian philosopher, once said that revenge is the greatest instinct of the human race. I've long been fascinated by how many movies revolve around this very theme of revenge. Everything from Gladiator to Braveheart to Count of Monte Cristo. And, and you know, the, the movie does a great job of kind of sucking us in. And we're, you know, yeah, get them, get them. Uh, this is so prominent in movies that, uh, please don't do it right now, but you can Google the 100 top revenge movies of all time. I did it this week. Uh, There's so many of them out there. That is a human response, deeply human. But God says, no, that is my prerogative alone to take vengeance, to mete out justice. Romans 12:19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will reply, I will repay, says the Lord. God is saying, the taking revenge, that is a matter for me. And forgiveness is all about letting go of our resentment and desire for revenge. God is saying to us, it is my prerogative as God, not your prerogative, as man, to withhold forgiveness. Now, by the way, when you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean that you don't care about justice. It simply means that you recognize justice belongs to God. I'm leaving it with God. I'm not God. I'm not gonna, am I in the place of God? And you are giving it to God. Whenever we are wronged in any way, the principle of God's word, refuse to retaliate. Refuse to take revenge. Refuse to hold on to resentment. Refuse... To play God in the life of somebody else. So Joseph, these first two statements, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now the third statement that he makes in 20 is a classic. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now can I just pause right there to say, Joseph does not minimize what they did in any way. And when you forgive somebody, you are not just sort of minimizing it. You're not whitewashing it. You're not just giving them an excuse. Oh, it didn't matter. If if it doesn't matter, if it's that small, you don't need to forgive them. Just ignore it. Go on. But if it's big, don't excuse it. You cannot forgive excuses. You forgive wrongs and evil. Joseph doesn't minimize what they did. You meant it for evil. You did. But... Here's the perspective of faith. God meant the same thing for good. God was at work. Now, so back 17 years ago, when they were out in that land and the trading caravan came by, they sell him into slavery. They meant nothing but evil. I mean, it was a cruel, barbaric act. But at the same time, God was at work. He knew what they were doing. And he knew that he, what he was going to do, he's going to send him down there He knows he's going to be falsely accused. He knows he's going to be thrown into prison. He knows he's going to be in the prison for 13 years. But he also knows that God all along planned to raise him up as the prime minister of all of Egypt and rescue tons of people in the famine, including the very brothers who sold him into slavery. The sovereign God was at work. Now, friend, you have got to lay hold of the biblical truth at this point. The pain in your life today and yesterday and last year, the wrong that has been done to you, the heartache and pain of life, God is sovereignly at work in that situation and He's going to bring good out of it for you. Now think about that with me. Nobody except Bible-believing Christians live this way. You, you mean you're, to tell me that whatever bad happens to me, God's going to bring good out of it for me? How good is that? I mean, we might just get up and do a little dance here. Um, no, I'm not going to. You're, you're safe. But, I mean, that's incredible. It doesn't mean it's always going to be immediate and obvious to me. Uh, Why The pain that I've gone through, I probably won't know fully until I get to heaven how God is redeeming it. But the promise of God is in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, church, that is so good. That changes everything. That's a game changer. And with Joseph, with the eyes of faith, if you see life like that, even when you're cruelly wronged and mistreated, some of you, it's off the charts. You can say, well, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's redeeming it. He's redeeming it. Am I in the place of God? And He forgives them. He forgives them completely. If you don't forgive, what you're doing is is you're storing up that poison of anger and bitterness and resentment inside. It's It's like you have given yourself the permission to have a have a slow drip of poison in your soul, just creating havoc, ruining lives, ruining families, ruining relationships. But God has a better way, and that way is called grace. Grace. Now, here is the Bible story, that we receive the grace of God, and we dispense the grace of God to others. That first of all, That we're like David and like Paul, we are champions of grace. We receive it fully. And then every time somebody wrongs us and hurts us, we dispense it. There's a little grace right there. You got it. And the healthiest people on the planet, the only joyful people on the planet, are great at receiving grace and passing out grace. How are you doing today? Joseph was off the charts, and he lived way before the New Testament on the cross. It's amazing. So we've seen two things. Joseph, first of all, responds, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? And then secondly, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many lives. And then thirdly, in verse 21, so do not fear. He repeats it. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He must have gone over there and gave them some hugs and, and just assured them we, 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 this is going to be okay. You don't have to worry about this. He gave them practical kindness. Now, now, friends, that is a huge part of forgiveness. This is how it works. Jesus talked about this in uh, Matthew 5, about pray for those who persecute you and bless those who, who wrong you. Uh, Romans 12, 21, down from the passage on vengeance I read earlier, says this. It says, overcome evil with good. Now, here's the principle of the Bible. When you are doing the hard work of forgiveness, difficult work, it's tough. And when you're doing that, here's something to help you on your way. Do something kind for them. Overcome evil with good. Speak kindly to them and comfort them. Now, I get it. Some people are not who've wronged you, or they're not safe to even be around. You can at least pray for them. And if you are around them, you can speak kindly. You can bless them. You know, in fact, one of the, here's the acid test for whether or not you've forgiven somebody. Can you wish them well? Amen. Can you wish them well? Forgiveness is not a matter of not having pain anymore for the hurt. Forgiveness is a matter. You made a choice to let go of it, and you can now wish them well. And this is Joseph. He is here. And and he he speaks kindly to them. And at least when you and I are trying to do the hard work of forgiveness, we we can at least pray for the person and maybe do a kind act. And the feelings of forgiveness follow the act of forgiveness. That's the way God is. That's the way the universe works. Feelings follow the actions. You obey the Lord, the feelings will eventually come. Now, this passage, this remarkable passage in Genesis 50, the remarkable passage of forgiveness, has its greatest fulfillment, actually, in the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about verse 20 in light of the cross, where Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive or saved as they are today. Now, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman soldiers and Pilate, they meant evil to, towards Jesus. Are you aware that the act of crucifying Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the single worst act in human history? It is the most evil thing ever done. But think about it from God's perspective. God was taking the same thing and bringing good out of it. And God sending His Son to down a cross for you and me is the greatest act of love in human history. Isn't that something? What man meant... For evil, God meant for good. And that is true of every single thing that happens to us. If somebody has wronged you, and they have, and they will, then God is going to bring good out of it for you. And that's just off the charts. It is so good. And the greatest fulfillment is in the cross, and God did it for the saving of many lives, including all of you and all of me. You know, forgiveness, I want to underscore this morning, it's not easy. I hope nobody here is saying, oh, yeah, of course, that's easy. It's not easy for me. You know, it's easy when I'm preaching, but when somebody wrongs me, it's not easy. And it's probably not easy for you. I know very few natural people who are just naturally good at forgiveness, very few. But church, by the power of the living Savior in you, who has forgiven you for all your sins, you can let go. You can forgive. You can And you set a prisoner free. You. You set yourself free. You rescue yourself from the prison of your pain and bitterness. And you live in a world where God is sovereign. And where he's going to take what the enemy meant for evil and bring good out of it. And it's just incredible. And it changes everything. Not just the wrongs done to us, but all the pain that we experience in life. But forgiveness is a choice. In fact, every Sunday morning, we pray a prayer of forgiveness when we say, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It is only right. If God forgives me, Jeff Wells, for a hundred billion billion dollars worth of sins, that I pass on that forgiveness when somebody sins against me. It's only right. And every Sunday morning, we give voice to it. You know, it's a choice we make. We can hang on to our anger and grow bitter and leak poison all in our body or we can give our anger to God and let him heal it by the power of God by the looking at the example of Jesus Christ because he has forgiven us for so much we can choose to forgive after the second service this morning a man came up to me and uh, reminded me who he was i hadn't seen him for a long time he's usually out of town but he he happened to be in town this week and when he comes in town he's he's here and he usually doesn't come by and talk to me. He said, Jeff, I don't know if you remember me, but 10 years ago, my son was murdered. Two-year-old son, child abuse. And I have a vague memory of it. And um, he said, Jeff, I needed to be here today. Because um, God was speaking to me that I've got to forgive. I've got to let go. After the first, and he did. He did. After the first service, a man came by and talked to me, and I remembered about six weeks ago, I talked to a man on the phone who goes here that I don't know, and his 21-year-old son, six weeks ago or so, was murdered by a gang in Huntsville, Alabama. And he said, Jeff, this is for me. This is for me. But you know what? This is for every one of us, (laughs) because we all struggle with forgiveness. But if Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for all of our sins, you can and you must let it go and give it to God. I'm going to close with uh, what's well, the most powerful story of forgiveness that I've seen, that I know. Here it is. as a black South African woman who stood in an emotionally charged courtroom listening to a white police, white police officers acknowledge the atrocities they had perpetuated in the name of apartheid. Officer Vanderbroek acknowledged his responsibility in the death of her son. Along with others, he had shot her 18 year old son at point blank range. He and the others partied while they burned his body, turning it over and over in the, ash, in the fire. Eight years later, Vanderbroek and the others arrived to seize her husband. Several hours later, shortly after midnight, Vanderbroek comes back to the house to fetch the woman, takes her to the woodpile where her husband lay bound. "'forced her to watch as they poured gasoline over his body "'and ignited the flames that consumed his body. "'The last words she heard her husband say were, "'Forgive them.' "'Now Vanderbroek stood before, the, before her awaiting judgment, "'and South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission "'asked her what she wanted, "'and she had thought it through, "'and she said, I want three things. "'She says, I want Mr. Vanderbroek to take me to the place "'where they buried burned my husband's body. "'I would like to gather up the dust "'and give him a decent burial.' Second, Mr. Vanderbrook took all of my family away from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to, my, to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. Third, I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like somebody to come and lead me to where he is seated, So I can embrace him and he can know that my forgiveness is real. And so someone came over to lead this elderly woman across the courtroom. And while he was, while she was walking to the across the courtroom, Vanderbroek faints, overcome by it all. And someone in the courtroom began softly singing Amazing Grace. And pretty soon the whole courtroom was singing amazing grace. And the grace of God is amazing. And if you've got Christ in you, you too can pass along that amazing grace. Right before the message, we sang the the song that goes, there is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in the tears. You meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. And then the chorus, even what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. That's the kind of God that we worship. I'd like us to do this before we stand together and pray. I'd like you to close your eyes. Go ahead. And I'd like you to ask the Lord something. Lord, what is the biggest forgiveness challenge in my life right now? What's hardest for me to let go of? Just see what comes to mind. And then I'd like you to make the choice to pray this prayer. Lord, I choose to forgive blank. I choose to forgive then please stand with me. Lord God, thank you for a Savior. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, help us to forgive other people. Friend, if you're here today and you've never received the grace of God, now is your time. Just breathe a prayer. Say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Forgive me my sin. He'll do it. He'll do it. That's how you become a Christian. Lord, we bless you. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.